Let's get started tonight. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 13. Just basically picking up where we where we left off a couple weeks ago. Revelation chapter 13. And I'll do my best to kind of bring you up to speed so that you um, have an idea of what we're getting into. I think most of y'all were here when we went over this um, a couple weeks ago, but just in case you'll at least get the gist of where we're starting at. <clears throat> but basically, you should remember that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul gave a, um, an important lesson on the coming Antichrist, on that basically there was going to be a, a, a human being that was going to rise up in all the activity of Satan. That basically... He was going to be somebody that had all the power and all the authority of Satan. And we saw a few weeks ago that basically there's coming a point when Satan is not going to have any access to the, to the throne room of God anymore. Right now he still has access. He's still able to go and stand before God and accuse you of not having genuine faith of not truly loving Him, and instead you just love the things that He gives you. And, and so He is constantly accusing the brethren, especially those that are trying to follow the Lord and trying to live a, a good life for the glory of God. And so right now He has that access, but there's coming a day where He is going to be kicked out for good, and He is going to be cast down to earth for the purpose of the only time he has left is what little time God gives him here to fulfill God's purpose here as well. But he is going to come down here with all of his rage. And in that time, he is going to raise up a single human being. Now, there have been many antichrists over the years, right? You remember when Jesus talked about the... Um, he said, there's going to be people that are going to say, look, he's over here and look, he's over there. Don't go, is basically what he said. He said, because there's going to be many, many that rise up saying that they are the Christ. There's going to be many false prophets and there's going to be people that are going around preaching false gospels. And so that's going to be all around. But at this point in this man, this is where all of the evil that you have ever seen literally culminates into one human being. And Satan gives all his authority, all of his power into this human being and he becomes this world ruler that literally everyone um, exalts to the place of the king of kings, if you will, and he rules over a one world government. Daniel taught that this guy was coming, so this is not something new. Daniel taught about it all throughout. Only in Daniel, when you read about him, he's called the little horn. And so if you were to go back and read Daniel and you start seeing the little horn, you'll know that that's what he's talking about is this same individual that we're talking about. Uh, again, Jesus taught about him in Matthew chapter 24, but Jesus taught that there was going to be a final antichrist, final authority figure that comes in the power of Satan. And when he comes, you're going to see what Jesus and Daniel called the abomination of desolation. Or in other words, this disgusting thing that makes everyone horrified when it takes place. And one of the things that we learned in Daniel, we'll go back and we'll read that tonight probably, is that this is going to be when this Antichrist 
sets himself and his own idol, his own image of himself, if you will, up in the temple of God, in the Holy of Holies, and commands that the world worship him as God. And this is a a, um, horrific thing that just makes desolate. And so that's why they call it the abomination of desolation. But tonight, what we're getting into is his, what we'll call his partner. He's not alone in what he's doing. Basically, what you're going to see is that he has, he has all the authority and he has all the world rulers that are following him and that have submitted to his authority so that he rules the world as a single ruler, a monarch. However, he is not alone because he wants to be worshipped And so what he does is there is another beast, is what the Bible calls it, that rises up. And this beast is not as powerful as he is as far as uh, um, politics goes, but as far as religion goes, he creates a one-world religion. And everybody in the world flocks to this religion except those whose names have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundations of the earth were ever created. So let's uh, look, if you would, at Revelation chapter 13, verse 11, and let's take a look at this guy. We'll just go ahead and read uh, from verse 11 to the end of Revelation chapter 13 and see what we can pick out about who this guy is. And so in verse 11 it says, Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke, like a dragon. Now does anybody remember how many horns the first beast had? Thirteen, chapter 13, verse 1. Ten horns, seven heads, and ten diadems. And what we found out is that this, um, this first beast, basically the, the, um, the ten horns represented ten kings, ten powers, ten world powers, if you will. And then the seven, um, the seven heads also represented seven kings that are coming in the future that have not yet arrived, or five of them had not yet arrived. You have to go back and study that again. But the point of it was is that this beast was a culmination of world powers, of worldly kings. This beast was a culmination of all the powers of the world as far as government goes, and he rises to the top to rule the world through this, and he commands for him to be worshipped. All right, But this beast, the second beast, when you look at him in verse 11, this beast only had two horns, and he was like a lamb. What does it mean when he says he was like a lamb? What does that mean? Was he a lamb? No, but he... He tried to resemble a lamb, right? So here we have somebody in horns represented power. And we see that all throughout the whole Testament. So what we see here is this next beast that rises up out of the earth. And I take that to mean probably a man from the dust. I don't know for certain that that's what it means. But I feel like that that's what it's talking about here is rises from the earth. And so a man from the dust maybe is how we would interpret that. But he has... Two horns here, and he is like a lamb. And so he resembles a lamb. But his words, notice what it says next, he spoke like a what? A dragon. So he tries to look like a lamb, and he looks appealing. He looks like 
looks, he looks gentle, he looks kind, but he speaks like a dragon. He speaks with the mouth of a dragon. Now, just a few verses to show you that this guy is also identified elsewhere. Look at uh, Revelation chapter 16 and verse 13, and you'll see this guy. It says, And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. Now here's what I want you to see in that verse. Basically, he identifies three different people that are a part of this, um, this great tribulation that takes place. Number one is the great dragon. Now who did we determine and who did the Bible tell us the great dragon was? Satan. That's exactly right. You'd have to go back to chapter 12, I think, to see that. But the Bible tells us that Satan is the dragon in this vision. And then also we have the first beast. And the first beast, we said, is the Antichrist that the dragon empowers, right? And then thirdly, we have his partner, the false prophet. And so when we read of this beast in Revelation 13, I want you to understand that he's going to be identified throughout the rest of Revelation, as a false prophet. Now, what did a prophet do? What was the job of a prophet? And say, thus says the Lord. That's right. And so the job of a prophet was, their job was to go out and say, thus says the Lord. And then the prophet would tell the people, this is what God says. And that's what a prophet's job was. That was it. All right. A prophet's job was not to tell the future. Now, did God sometimes tell future events to prophets? Absolutely. But a lot of times we get prophecy confused with what it actually is. Prophecy is not just, is not just foretelling, it's forthtelling. It's just coming and saying, this is what the Lord says. It's that simple. If it involves future events, then so be it. If it don't and it involves present events or past events, that's still prophecy. Now, what would a false prophet be doing? Huh? That's right. He's also going out, and what's he saying? Thus says the Lord. But is it true? No. And so the second beast is coming out, and he is the one that is preaching to the world. He looks like a lamb. He's preaching to the world but he speaks like a dragon because what he says are not the words of the Lord, but they're the words of who? That's exactly right. And so that's what you have here in this verse 11 of Revelation chapter 13. Another place you could see that is Revelation chapter 19 verse 20. In Revelation 19 verse 20, I'll read that one to you. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. So here's another thing we learn about him right there. His job is to preach in such a way that he points people to worship the Antichrist. So he's going out and he's convincing people in the world by signs and wonders because he is operating in the authority of Satan who has power. 
And so he is convincing people in the world that the Antichrist is the one to be worshipped. That he is the true Christ, but he is a false Christ. He's an Antichrist, and this prophet is a false prophet. All right? And so he's also convincing people to take the mark. You see that again in Revelation chapter 19. One last scripture, Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. Look at what it says. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So again, my point with bringing all these scriptures up is to help you see that when we're talking about the first beast and the second beast, what we're talking about is the coming Antichrist, the world ruler, and the coming false prophet who leads people to worship this world ruler. And he develops a one world religion. All right, And so that's what he is. Now it's not going to be just a... The one world religion is the religion that everybody follows except the ones whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. However, what's going to happen to the ones that are written in the Lamb's book of life when they don't follow this one world religion? That's exactly right. They are going to be martyred through this time. All right, And so, going back to Revelation chapter 13, I want you to notice again in verse 11, that this beast had two horns, he was like a lamb, he resembled a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon because he's a false prophet. Verse 12, it exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence. And so do you remember what authority the first beast had? I think if I remember right, um, yeah, look at uh, chapter 13 verse 2. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like bears, its mouth was like a lion's mouth, and to it the dragon, which was the devil, right, gave his power, his throne, and great authority. And then it says in verse 3, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And so what you see in that is that This first beast had all the authority that Satan had. Everything, all the power Satan had, he gives it to this beast. The false prophet now also has this same power to do many wonders, many signs in the presence of the first beast. So they're going to be working side by side. You see that? It'll be kind of like, um, let me think of an example here. Somebody give me a, 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 a president and that had a, a religious leader that worked together. Has it ever been that? Um, that's correct. That's exactly right. Because that's what he is, is a copycat. He's a copycat. And you're going to see that. It's everything that he does. I'm glad Donna brought that up. Everything that this guy does, he's trying to copy what God does. Just like when we read a minute ago about that mortal wound that had been healed. Most believe that in some way or another, this guy, either the nation of Rome is going to experience a resurrection and that's what it means, or this Antichrist is going to somehow 
be killed, and just like Jesus, He is going to rise again in some way so that when the world looks at Him, they, they see all the evidences, if you will, of a Christ, of a Messiah, and the world flocks to Him and follows Him. And they believe this, and they, they begin to worship Him as the Messiah. But um, He is trying to copy the, the Trinity in the same way that you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You also, hear, you also have the dragon... The, the Antichrist and the false prophet, which represents God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as well. And so everything he does, he tries to copy what God does. But if you'll look at verse 12 again, it says here that it exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. And again, a lot of this you don't know for certain what it means, but in some way there is some type of a resurrection that's going on here. We don't know exactly what that looks like. But this guy's job is to be the false prophet, the preacher that's going out into the world and they're telling everybody about this resurrection. And they're performing signs and wonders and the world is looking at it and they're going, this is amazing. Look at this guy, and they see his um, they see his appearance and his persona and 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 his personality, and he is somebody that the world just flocks to. And this preacher's job is to point people toward him, so that as it says again in verse um, twelve, he makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. And you'll remember he does this through deception. Now hold your place there and go back with me to First um, Thessalonians or Second Thessalonians chapter two. Second Thessalonians chapter two, beginning in verse nine. Because this is not new. When John wrote this, this was not new. They knew this was coming. But God had gave John an extended vision of it. And so in verse 9 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, "...the coming of the lawless one," and again, we're talking about the Antichrist here, "...is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders." and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because, and here's why they're perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So not only is this guy going around preaching a false gospel, but the ones who are not believers and who refuse to believe in Jesus and who refuse to be saved by confessing Him as Lord and believing in His resurrection, God is actually going to make the world believe it. He's not going to have to work real hard at this because God is going to send strong delusion so that the world does not I mean, they, they, they're not going to believe in Christ, so God makes them believe. Why? He says so that they'll be condemned with the rest of the unbelievers. And so He's going to send strong delusion and He's going to make them follow this 
this guy. And so this guy is going to be a preacher. He does great signs and wonders in front of the people, and he deceives them to believe and worship the first beast. Now notice in um, verse 13, it performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people, and by the signs that it was allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth. And we'll finish that here in just a minute. But one, one of the things that I want you to understand is that this is the way that it has always worked. Um, Jesus even, He didn't have to, but He did. When He came, He performed signs so that He proved who He was. The apostles, the reason why they had the powers that they had, and I'll show you Scripture to prove this here in a minute. The reason why they had the powers and the authority that they had was to prove that their ministry was from God. And so again, because he's a copycat, he's going to be trying to do things to prove as well. Let me show you a few scriptures to show you what I'm talking about. Look at John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31, the Gospel of John. Chapter 20. Verse 30 through 31. And one of the things that you would notice if you studied through the Gospel of John is that every chapter is about a sign that Jesus did. When He did a miracle, they called it a sign. When He fed the 5,000, they called it a sign. When He healed somebody, they called it a sign. And so all of the Gospel of John is about the signs that Jesus did and the results of the signs. But notice what the purpose of it was in verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, and what does He mean these? What, what is these? These signs, right? These signs are written, why? So the purpose of the signs is that God didn't expect Jesus to just come down here. Now, yes, there were many times that Jesus looked at the people and said, only thing you want is a sign. <laughs> and I'm not going to give you one. Because if that's... So I, I don't want you to think that that's the only reason we believe. But granted, J Jesus did not come here expecting that He's not going to do anything and expect you to believe He's God in the flesh. No. The very fact that He raised Lazarus from the dead, do you really think He raised Lazarus for Lazarus' sake? No. If that was the case, why didn't He just go ahead and raise everybody from the dead? That was not the point. The point, one, the point was to prove that He is the true Messiah. Alright? That was the point of His resurrection. To prove that He is God in the flesh and has the power of life and and conquers death. And so these are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in His name. Look at Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Let's look at the apostles. Why did they do the signs that they did? Because, I mean, why don't we see those kind of signs today? I mean, honestly, when you think about it, I'm not talking about the fakes that you see on TV. I mean, I'm not saying God don't heal. Now, that's not what I'm saying, alright? We know, we've seen God heal. I'm talking about the way that we saw it back 
when the apostles did it. All right, I'm not talking about just through prayer and just through uh, us. I'm talking about the the things that we used to saw, see the apostles do. Look at Acts chapter five, verse twelve. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that even even they so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. You want to know why? Because this was another way that their their ministry was being authenticated by God. This, you, you can believe the gospel that they preach. Why? Look at the signs and the wonders that are being done. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. No, I'm sorry. Chapter 12, verse 12. When I started reading, I said, that ain't right. Notice what Paul says here. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. So again, here's the point that Paul was trying to make. You want to know how Paul Paul said, you want to know how you can believe that my ministry is of God? and that you can follow the gospel that I preach? Because the signs of a true apostle were performed in front of you. You saw the signs and the wonders. You saw the gifts and the things that that God has given us for the purpose of laying the foundation of the church. You have seen the signs of a true apostle. Look at Romans chapter 15, verse 18 and 19. This is the last one I'll give you. We'll go back to Revelation. Romans chapter 15, verse 18 through 19. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. How did He bring them to obedience? By word and what? And then verse 19, what did the deeds look like? By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around... So you go on and on and on. Here's the point. I can take you Scripture after Scripture. The apostles were able to do signs and wonders. That's the reason why I'm sorry, and I'll say this to I got some friends, I got some ministers that I love that are apostles. No, you're not. I'm sorry. You are not. 
If you're an apostle, I'm looking for some things out of you. (laughs) I ain't seen them yet. The apostle's job was to lay... Look at... look. I can't stop. All right, come on. Let's look at this. Look with me at um, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse... um, Verse 20. Did I do that? I'm sorry, Oakley. I understand. Sometimes I need to burp. All right. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse um, 19 to 20. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household God, and you are built on what? Of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So here was the job of the apostles. And this is the reason why there are no more apostles today. The job of the apostles was to be witnesses to, and I could take you to Acts and prove this to you, their job was to be a witness to the entire ministry of Jesus Christ, all of His signs and wonders from the time of His baptism all the way to His resurrection and His ascension into heaven. They were eyewitnesses. They saw everything that He did. In order to be an apostle, you had to have been an eyewitness to the ministry of Jesus Christ. I can take you to 2 Corinthians and prove that to you. All right, But you had to be an eyewitness to that. Now that's one reason why there's not apostles today because how many people living today were eyewitnesses to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ from the time of His baptism to the time of His ascension? There are none. But their job for these witnesses was to lay the foundation, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, and then they take the cornerstone of Christ Jesus and they preach this gospel to the world as witnesses. And as they preach it, they perform signs and wonders, great signs and wonders, so that as you read earlier, when people cast under the shadow of Peter, what happened to them? They were healed. When people touched the garments that Paul had touched, what happened? And so they were given the ability to perform signs and wonders for the purpose of laying the foundation so that, so that the people believed on Jesus Christ, believed their gospel was true, followed their gospel, and they were built on that foundation with Jesus being the cornerstone, the preaching of the apostles and the prophets because the prophets were teaching the coming of the Messiah. The apostles were preaching He has come. And between the two of them, the foundation is being laid. And then we are the ones built on it. And then after that, notice in Ephesians chapter 4, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse um, 
11. Notice how he starts out the gifts. And he gave who? So he gave the apostles. He gave the prophets. He's the one that gave those gifts. And then he gave the evangelists, because what do the evangelists do? They take the gospel of the prophets and the apostles and they preach it, right? And then he gave what? The shepherds. And who are that? Who's that? You're looking at him. You're looking at him. He gave the shepherds. And he gave what else? And what did he do this for? In verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So again, here's the structure of the church. You have the apostles. You have the prophets. And between those, they laid the foundation. You have the evangelists that go out and preach the gospel. You have the shepherds that take the ones that come in from the gospel being preached. And you have the teachers. And together, between the pastors and the teachers, you have the church that teaches them to observe all things that Jesus has commanded, and that's what we do in here. And so, I didn't mean to get so far off base, but going back to Revelation chapter 13, basically what I want you to understand is that signs and wonders have always had to accompany true prophets and true apostles. All right, And in order for this false prophet to try to deceive the world, guess what he has to do? Signs and wonders. This makes sense. And it has always been this way. Do you remember whenever Moses was going before Pharaoh and he was going to tell him to let my people go? And um, you remember God told him, He said, take your stick and throw it on the ground. And what happened? What did Pharaoh have that they done? And what did they do? And Moses turned the water to blood. What did they do? And so again, basically what you've always had in time is that when God has people that does signs and wonders, Satan also has people over here that he's trying to get to do signs and wonders as well because he's trying to deceive on one side and God is actually saving on the other side. But God, go back and read the the Exodus and you'll understand that that was all they were able to do. They weren't able to do anything else that God was able to do, but in some ways that they were able to work some signs. Another place to um, to look at this is go back to Revelation chapter uh, eleven again, and you remember what during this time that the Antichrist and the false prophet are preaching. There are two witnesses. Y'all remember us talking about them two witnesses that are going around and preaching the gospel, and so they're trying to preach the true gospel while the false prophet is going around preaching the false gospel during this time. And then notice what they're doing. Look in uh, Revelation 11 verse um, 5. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. They have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And so again, the, the point being is this. If this is what God's witnesses are doing during this time, what has Satan got to do? He's got to have a false prophet that's out here doing the same things. And so going back to Revelation chapter 13, let's look at it again. 
in verse uh, 14. And by the signs that it was allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And so they're going to make an image of some kind. Now what is this? I don't know. Don't have a clue. Could it be a statue or an idol? Could be. Um, Honestly, I'm not sure. But in some way or another, there is a a false idol that is set up in this thing right here. And notice in verse 15, it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. And so in some way, this image is given life in some way. Again, I don't know how this plays out. I don't know what this looks like. But in some way, and you think about it, God is going to send strong delusion. Remember that from Paul's teaching in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2? If you were to see an image speaking, let's say it is a statue, and this statue has the ability to speak to you and even to slay you in some way for not worshiping the beast, is that not a little convincing? That strong delusion, would you not say so? Along with the signs and the wonders that these guys are are being allowed to do, then that's kind of what you see right here. But remember, God is protecting the ones from being deceived Look at again at Revelation 12, verse 13 through 17. Revelation 12, verse 13 through 17, because this is the time period that we're looking at right here. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, remember I told you he was going to be kicked out for a final time? Well, when he saw he had been thrown down to the earth, He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. They were talking about the church or Jerusalem or Israel. But the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, times, and half a time. That's three and a half years. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood, but the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Who is that? On those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea." And so again, the point being in that is that he is the one that is chasing after the church with everything that he has and he's trying to destroy anybody. But God is going to keep the ones that their names are written in the book of life from being deceived. He's going to be attacking them. He's going to be killing them. But they're not going to worship the beast. That's the reason I tell people, if you are a true born-again believer, you don't have to worry about the mark. We always worry about that. Am I? Is this going to be the mark? Or is this going to be the mark? Am I getting the mark? If you're a true believer, you don't have to worry about that. God has already written your name down in the book and you are not going to be deceived. But according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the rest of the world will be deceived. 
All right, so now look at verse uh, back to Revelation 13. We'll see if we can finish this up. In verse uh, 15 again, it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead. And again, he's a copycat, right? You remember what God did to His followers back in Revelation chapter 7? He marked them on their foreheads, right? And then look at Revelation 14. Just go straight down the page. And verse 1. Then I looked and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with Him 144,000 who had His name and His Father's name written where? On their foreheads. Here's what I believe. I believe that Satan tries to copycat this. And in some way or another, whether it's something that can be seen or not, I don't know. Is it a chip? Is it a bar? I don't know. But in some way or another, they are identified with the name of the Antichrist or the name of Satan, the dragon, or something. They are identified in some way with a mark of some kind because he's trying to copy the same thing that God does. And then he says in verse 17, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name... Uh, well, I, I, I didn't realize that. So he says it right here. The name of the beast or the number of its name. So there's the mark right there. In some way, just the same way that God puts His name on the foreheads of His followers, in some way, they're, they're going to have the name of their father as well on their foreheads. And you're not going to be able to buy and sell. And you know, when you think about it, that's already here today. Now, there have been many things that came up that people thought that this is it and, and they questioned, is this the, the, the mark in some way? But when you think about it, um, credit cards today, that, that's what they do. They, all of your information that t- ties directly to you is in a magnetic, and I don't know how it works. All right, I can't explain it. Maybe one of y'all can. But somehow or another, when you swipe that thing, everything about you is tied to that in some way. Or now they have these little chips on them that all of your information is tied to that thing in some way. And so it would be very easy to make a world that you cannot buy or sell without a particular chip or, or, or something. Yeah, again, I'm not saying that's the mark. I'm just saying we can see how this is not far-fetched, right? This is not far-fetched at all. You know, they've been screaming about a food shortage that's coming. And, um, and it very well could be. What would actually happen to the majority of us in the United States today if there really was a food shortage and you couldn't go to Walmart to get your groceries? Ain't that the truth? You, you probably wouldn't last very long unless you can trap and hunt and you can do a little bit to fish or something. But you're not going to last very long. Y- y'all ever watch them Survivor shows? They go into that thing thinking they can do it, don't they? How many of them actually can? Not many. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you'll have to figure something out. 
But it is not far-fetched to see that this could actually happen. That there is coming a day that basically if you don't line up with a certain agenda, particularly here this world religion, you're not going to be able to buy or sell. And so ultimately, even as a Christian, you will likely starve. And it would be something that you will have to endure before your time to stand before the Lord. So um, in verse 18, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. All right. Y'all ready? I don't know. Now that's true. I, I don't know. I'm not even going to begin to speculate on exactly what... Now I'm going to tell you this. I do believe in the original context that the original audience that this was written to, I feel like likely when they read that, they went... And they may have understood exactly what he was trying to say. Here's the only thing that I can... And there's been so many theories on what this actually is, all right? But here's one of the things that I can think of. You know, when you think about it, there are several... Um, uh, I know um, Roman numerals. How, how, what are Roman numerals look like? Letters, right? And so a letter stood for a number. And so I'm not good with Roman numerals, but I think an I stood for a one, right? And a, um, a V, what? V is five. X is ten. So on and so on. So again, the point being is that Latin Latin was the same way, and so there were there were a letter represented a number in some way, and so there have been so many people that have used this theory to try to come up with names, and they spell out names like um, Caesar Nero. Uh, they spell out, um, I mean, they spell out all kinds of names. Yes, ma'am. That's right. That's right. And that's my point. That's right. We're not going to, tonight, you and I are not going to leave here and figure out and say, okay, we know exactly what 666 is and we know exactly what the number of his name is. But I do believe that in some way, this is the number of the beast, which again, we know was a man. So in some way, this is the number. And somehow or, of no, or another, this number would probably spell out his name. I don't know how that's going to take place. I don't know if it's Roman numerals. I don't know if it's Latin. I don't know, I don't know what it is. But I do know that there is a man coming. And here's what I know for certain. Go back with me to Revelation 13, verse um, 9 and 10. Or actually, start in verse 8. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. What's that next word? Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So what does that tell you? If you are a born again believer, if you know, if you see the evidence of God working in your life and you know that, 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 that God is transforming you and you are following this gospel, you don't have to worry about this. But notice what verse 9 says. 
But he don't stop there because he says this, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. And here's what he would have us to know. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. What's he saying to you and I tonight? Out of everything that we have got here, what's he saying to you and me? Be led into captivity, have to um, have to give your life for the cause of of Christ. Whatever the case may be, here's the point: If your name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're not going to worship, you're not going to get the the mark, and you are not going to be able to buy and sell. Just the way it is, you may end up having to go into captivity, and you may even be killed for it. But if that is the way it's going to be, that is the way it's going to be. Your thing is to endure and to keep the faith all the way to the end. Y'all see that? That's the point, I think, that we take from it tonight. And you know, we've, we've been so blessed to live in a culture and live in a, um, a country that, um, I mean, it is so easy for us to worship Christ. So easy. Matter of fact, it's too easy. We don't have to face anything except for our own laziness. Right? That's the only enemy I have to fight in order to come and worship and come and hear the gospel. Yet there are people today, every day, that die, that have to give their lives in order to follow Jesus Christ. All over this world, there are people every day. I wish somebody could Google it and find out, but I just wonder, uh, you know, they, they, their st- statistics tell you there are so many people every day in the world that die and that are m- martyred, that are killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so just because we live in a culture that we've not yet had to experience that, and I pray we don't. I pray we all get to die happily and go stand before our God in heaven without having to face any of this. That's my prayer. But is it really that far-fetched to believe that it could happen to us someday soon? It's happening now. We're slowly starting to see our United States culture graze over to the fact that Christians are hated. And if you stand on the truth, you are an enemy. And we want to kill you. And I wouldn't doubt if we're not that far away from from being thrown into prison, going into captivity for being a Christian, and especially for standing on the truth. I'm not talking about just for naming the name of Christ. I'm talking about standing and following Him. And I believe that we have to be prepared that if captivity is where we have to go, so be it. If I can't feed my child, how many of you will... I mean, let's just be honest. That's right. You have to be prepared to do whatever it takes in order to stay true to Jesus Christ and to go all the way to the end. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right.
Right. Yep. I agree with that. I do. We I know this that um even though and that is absolutely true, but just keep in mind, God does allow suffering for his people. He does. And um and there are going to be people that are going into captivity, they're going in with going uh to death with the sword or with the gun or whatever the case may be. And we have to be ready to face it no matter what it is. That's right. Every one of them, except John, ended in a yeah, ended in a very terrible demise. Yeah. Right. That's exa- that's exactly right. And that's the reason why I think he tells you this is a call for the endurance of the saints. You know, you 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 endure for a little while. Just a little while. It's not that long. All right. Thank you all so much. Uh, we will um, hopefully be able to get into chapter 14 next week. And um, then we're getting closer to the end, guys. So we may even finish Revelation. I don't have a clue. We have them quarterly now. No, it'll be May. We had it in February. We had it in February. And so the next one will be March, April, May. Yeah, the next one will be May. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You for showing us the things that must take place soon. Father, we thank You for the call to endurance and the call to keep the faith all the way to the end. Father, we pray tonight for those that are already experiencing these kind of things in the world. Father, I just pray that You would forgive us, Lord, because we don't, we can't even begin to understand. We can't even begin to, to, to feel what they're going through. And so, Father, we just pray for those tonight that are already having to stand, Lord, and give their lives to uh, to continue to follow You. Father, we pray tonight that, Lord, You would just give us the faith to just continue to trust You all the way to the end, no matter what we face, no matter what suffering You allow us to go through, God. I pray that, Lord, we would remain faithful until we stand before You, God. Lord, I pray that we would all be able to hear You say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. And Lord, I just pray, God, that you would give us the strength to be able to do that. Lord, we know if you don't do it for us, we can't do it. Lord, it's in our weakness, God, that 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 you, your strength is, is glorified. So Father, I pray, God, that you would give us the strength we need to keep following you no matter what we face. Father, I thank you for this group of people here tonight. I pray that we've all received something from you, and I pray that um, we're able to leave here tonight changed because of um, what we've heard from you. Father, forgive us again of uh, the many times that we fail you, but as we always do, we give you the praise and the glory for the salvation that comes through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.